0: Well, it's good to see you. Uh, Great singing this morning. Uh, Thank you for engaging in this way. Uh, Let me ask you to take out your smartphones, and uh, if you haven't downloaded the app by now, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Uh, There are several ways in which you can get involved in in significant ways. And if you go to the home uh, of the app, and click on volunteers. I want to just highlight a couple. Uh, Mom Circle, uh, we need childcare. And let me just say that Mom Circle is often a gateway into the church and into faith. So when you help take care of a child while the mom is in, in Mom Circle, you're really helping them beyond the morning. You're helping the whole family. So if you can participate, please let us know. Just click on volunteers, click on Mum Circle Child Care Volunteers, and that would be great. Also, coming up very soon is our uh, one of our community partners, City Center, is having their dinner in on Thanksgiving. This helps the community by hosting those who are uh, on the... Um, less fortunate side of life. We provide a dinner, but we need volunteers to help serve. So if you can help serve, just click on City Center, church volunteering, give 90 minutes of your time to help uh, communicate the love of Christ to that uh, section of the city. Uh, You'll notice if you go to the bottom of the app, Events, there's some important things coming up if you're a young adult tonight just click on the young adult coffee hour learn about it you can participate this evening so there's lots of ways to engage and just encourage you to do that and then if you go to the home page again and actually media There's What's Wrong With God. Click on What's Wrong With God on the 22nd of September when God is unwilling. And your message notes are there so you can follow along. If you're in a circle group, your discussion guides are on that as well. So everything is on the app so you can see how it solves all of our problems. And you'll want to be part of it. So this morning, I want to welcome those who are listening online. We're in the middle of a series called What's Wrong with God? And this has been well received, and thank you for your comments. The notes will be displayed also behind me, and you can take notes on your app this morning. So we're we're exploring the situations where you are pleading with God. You're asking God. Maybe it's for a job. Maybe you're wanting an interview to get employment. Maybe it's a health crisis or a financial situation. Maybe it's just that you need a date on Friday night. I don't know what it is. And you're pleading with God, and God is not coming through. And he seems to be inattentive. And he's uncooperative. And he's late to the party. And if you grew up in a Christian home and your prayers weren't answered and people would tell you, oh, you just have to pray more. Oh, you you got to confess a sin in your life. That's why God isn't answering your prayer. Or maybe you just don't have enough faith. I mean, you've heard all these things, right? And you turn inward and you say, what's wrong with me? God isn't listening to me and he's not answering my prayer. And you, so you, it creates all kinds of doubts. At some point, you've confessed everything, you have enough faith, you've, you've done everything you can and God's still not coming through. And you change the narrative to, what's wrong with God? I mean, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful. Maybe he doesn't like me. Maybe he doesn't even exist. And so we turn the conversation to what is wrong with God. Now, before we uh, jump into the text this morning, I want us to consider this. God's lack of cooperation is not an argument for or against his existence. Now, this is important to understand, God's lack of cooperation is not an argument for or against His existence. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes my kids didn't think I was very cooperative, and they didn't walk around and say, "There is no dad. There is no dad. There is no dad." Right? Uh, his lack, God's lack of cooperation is separate from his existence. So it's just not an argument. And again, you might have grown up in a religious environment, and people like me made you feel like it's all your fault that God isn't answering your prayers. And I want to upset that and say, I'm sorry on behalf of all ministers everywhere, which really doesn't mean anything. We are looking at people that God knew their name. He knew all about them. He loved them absolutely. Yet they went through seasons of time where God was silent, and he seemed absent. And last week, remember, we looked at John the Baptist? And John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. And Jesus said of John, he said, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, John was in prison. He was in prison for doing the right thing, for preaching against the sin of somebody. And he was there, and God wouldn't release him. It was like he forgot about him. And John struggled with Jesus' inattentiveness to his suffering. In fact, he got a bunch of his buddies to go to Jesus and ask him, are you really the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? And last week, remember, we were, we were looking at Herod, all of the Herods, and Herod the Great died and put two of his sons in charge of, of uh, divided the kingdom. One was in charge of Samaria and one was in charge of Judea and Philip. Was in charge of nothing, but he had a lot of money. And Herodias, this beautiful woman, married for the money. And then one day Achilles, who was reigning Judea, went to visit Philip. And got Herodias alone and said, hey honey, I love you. And she said, I love you too. And she left Philip and went with Herodias. And John was in prison because he was preaching against their sin of adultery. And Herodias wanted John dead. And we came to the conclusion that your personal experiences do not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. Remember when the disciples asked Jesus about John and said, hey, Hey, Jesus, do you remember John? And he said, look, Tell John, blessed is he who does not stumble on account of me. He left him in prison. He loved him. He respected him. But your personal experiences do not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. That's where we left off last day. Today, we're talking about a man whose name is a household name, whether you grew up in church or not. Some of you, Named your kids after him. In fact, we have a pastor named after him, Paul. The great apostle Paul. Paul introduced us to the New Testament. He wrote over half of it. And so, Paul took the gospel outside of Jerusalem. Recall that? The disciples were getting really comfortable just sitting in Jerusalem and enjoying each other. And, you know having teaching and singing kumbaya together. And, and Paul comes along and says, hey, we got to get this message out of here. And he went all the way around the Mediterranean rim telling people about Jesus Christ, this guy who died on the cross for everybody's sin. And he came out of the grave alive. And you've got to believe in him. And so Paul is this great guy who we attribute much of Christianity to. Besides Jesus Christ, he is one of the greatest names in all of Christianity. So when Paul met Jesus. uh, Paul was kind of anti-Christian to begin with. He was a Jew. And uh, he didn't like this new sect called Christianity. And he was on, on one of his campaigns. To persecute Christians. And on the road, Jesus Christ literally met him and his life was transformed. And after he met Jesus, he spent a few years in training, first with Peter and then with James, the brother of Jesus. And then he spent 20 years traveling around the Mediterranean rim into hostile environments. Introducing people to Jesus Christ and saying that God did something unique in the world by sending Christ to die for the sins of people. You recall, for those of you who have read the New Testament, that Paul was shipwrecked. He almost got killed, drowned. He was put in prison. He was stoned not smoking something, literally. He was stoned. Uh, He was bit by a poisonous snake. He almost drowned trying to spread the message of Christ. God took a special interest in this guy named Paul. But soon after he became a Jesus follower, he was afflicted with some sort of Disease. We don't know what it was. Some physical ailment. And it became an obstacle for him to do the very thing that he was called to do. Now Paul spent three seasons of intense prayer asking God to remove this condition. If anybody should have received a miracle, it should have been Paul. I mean, Paul did such great things. Yet God answered. He said, no. After the second season of prayer, God said, no. The third time, he said, no. And he said, Paul, I don't care how much faith you have. I don't care how long you pray, how obedient you are, how long you fast, all of those things. I know your name. I know you'll be famous. And one day, one of the most magnificent buildings in the history of the world will be built and it will be named after you. I know all of those things. But I'm not removing this physical ailment. Now, this story should be an encouragement to you, because some of you think that God doesn't know your name. God is silent to you. And one of the men that God used more than any other man besides Jesus Christ, who's denied his request. And in replacement, in replacement of his request, God gave to him a promise, and that promise that he gave Paul is for everybody here in this room today. Everyone worldwide has access to this promise. So we're going to look at the text, and we're going to drop into the middle of a conversation about God saying no to Paul. And here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 7. It says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, some of us use this terminology, thorn in the flesh, to... To uh, describe your ex-boss, maybe um, you know he was he was just a thorn in my flesh. Of course, we modernize it today. We say more like he was a pain in my you know, and but this thorn in the flesh terminology is used. Maybe it's your boss or your mother-in-law or maybe your neighbor, maybe the home association board member. Whoever it is, we 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 say that this guy is a thorn in the flesh. And in Paul's case, it is a physical ailment that followed him. And then he says, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, we don't know if this was literal or if this was figurative. But have you ever had a vacation that you thought was just hellish? Or maybe a week? You, you, at work, you came off that week and you said, boy, that was a, that was a week from you know where. And maybe that's what, what this was. Paul experienced it every trip, on every ship that he boarded, before and every time he got up to speak. We have no idea what it was. There's, there's a lot of speculation around what this thorn in the flesh was. Some think, you know, uh, we won't even go to what they think. There are pages written about it. But every time he would push through this physical ailment, even though he asked God to remove it. Then verse 8 says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Again, this was not a quick prayer, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then get on with life. These were intense Seasons of prayer where he pleaded with God. Have you ever pleaded with God? Most often it it involves bargaining, doesn't it? God, if you do this, you know, I'll go to church every Sunday, really. God, if you do this, I'll, I'll serve the poor. I'll give some money. And we plead and we bargain with God. Imagine the bargaining power that Paul had. I mean, he was everywhere. Debating, preaching, serving. He could have pleaded with God and used the bargaining chip of what he was doing. And isn't it comforting to know that someone whom God knew and entrusted a huge mission to said no. He said no to Paul. Now Paul goes on in verse 9 he says but he said to me he said to me and it's a comfort too that God spoke to him and he heard God respond because often we feel that God doesn't respond to us. We plead and we hear nothing but in this case Paul uh, God responded to Paul and even when it's a no it's a comfort to hear from God and In the response, we find a promise from God. And this promise is for everyone. And thousands of people throughout the years have experienced this. And this is what the promise is. My grace. My grace is sufficient for you. God said, I will not give to you what you are asking for. But I will give you something that will allow you to endure. You will have to go through another season. Enduring this. But you will find Paul. You'll find that my grace. Is sufficient. For you. So you can get through another day. Another season. You can go to work and. Endure one more time. You can come to home to the unknown. One more time. You will keep going in spite of nothing around you changing. You see, grace is the ability to keep on going, to find energy and strength and faith, to keep moving in the direction that God would have you move. That's grace. And that's grace. And that's His promise. And His promise is for everybody in this room. He promises that you will receive his grace. So God says to this apostle, whom he loves, we're not going to remove the physical ailment, but I'll tell you what I will do for you. I will give you grace to keep moving forward. And Paul continues, for my power, my power is made perfect in weakness. What Paul experienced is what you can experience too. God's grace is adequate, and it's actually more than enough for you. God's power actually is accented by you living in your weakness. God's power is accented. Now for you deeper teaching fanatics, here it is. None of us would sign up for this. Nobody would. Here is what we want. We want the guy in the end zone with the football, with his hand in the air, giving glory to God. Hey, God, help me get this touchdown. We want the guy with a walkout home run coming around the bases, pointing to his Heavenly Father and saying, "Yay!" hey, hey. We want the guy with strength. We want the guy. With winning the Academy Award, thanking everybody. No, thanking thanking Mom. Thank you, all the cast, the crew, the film guy. And most of all, I want to thank my Heavenly Father. And we go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We want strength. We want winners. Hey, when we have a banquet, you know, a Christian banquet, they always have this speaker. We want a winner. You know, we don't want the guy who's the loser, all right? We don't want the guy speaking at that banquet saying, hey, I want to tell you I lost every Olympic race. We don't want that guy. We want the guy that has 20 gold medals around his neck, right? We want strength. Yet God says, look, I want to accent my power through your weakness. Through your weakness. We want to leverage strength, ability, talent, opportunity. We want to celebrate out of all of our accomplishments. And sometimes that's the case. It gets people to your banquet. We want to celebrate all that God has done through our strengths. But then, I see it so often, sometimes God says no. No, I'm not going to leverage your strength. I'm not going to leverage your success, your skill, your opportunity. I'm going to leverage your weakness. I'm going to leverage your inability and your lack of opportunity. And we don't like to hear that. That's sometimes God's way. And what others deem as failure, I'm going to get glory out of it from you. Living with my power and living in it on my my grace. And I will do it, God says, I will do it on the stage of your weakness, not in your strength. Now, I don't know how you react to this, but sometimes I I really don't like this. I vote for strength and ability and privilege. God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for God's power, God's power is made perfect made perfect in weakness none of us would choose this none of us would but isn't it true when you meet another Christian person whose life experience makes you shudder and you see them and you walk away and say God I don't want that I don't want their problems And I'm glad it's him and not me. I don't know how they do that. And you scratch beneath the surface and it seems like God has said no to them. But they have peace. They have something inside of them that gives them strength to walk through the valleys that they're walking through. And when you talk with them, you discover they're living on the gift of God's grace. It's a gift a gift of grace, and it's sufficient for them. And it's apparent that God is showcasing his strength in the middle of their weakness. And with those kinds of people, I just shake my head and I say, there has to be a God. There is no other explanation for how they are walking through the valley that they are walking through. So I want to give you a heads up if if this is in your future. Maybe you have breezed through life and you've never had something, never had a hiccup in your life. I want to give you a heads up that usually it's God's way that he allows us to experience weakness. So heads up. And here's an explanation if it's in your past. Sometimes These hiccups, these difficulties are a season. Sometimes they can even end in death. And I want you to understand that this is an explanation if it's in your past. And here is a comfort if it is your current reality. God will and God has and God is going to showcase his strength in your weakness and if we learn to take no for an answer and this is the key there are people that have affliction that will and refuse to take God's answer of no and it adds to their difficulty and their pain but God will give his grace and his power for you to go through the valley If you will say yes, it has nothing to do, I want you to know this, it has nothing to do with his love for you. If you're in a season, in a valley, if you're struggling, it has nothing to do with whether he loves you. It has nothing to do with his compassion toward you or his presence in in your life. Nothing. It is not a judgment on your faith or if you have unconfessed sin in your life. It has to do with God showcasing his his strength in your weakness and his presence in your life. Remember, life is a journey with God. That's all it is. It's a journey with God. And some journeys are enhanced with ease, but most often it's enhanced with hardship. I can tell you from personal experience that some of the best times of my life where I have gotten to know God in in a substantial and personal way has been through suffering and pain and difficulty. That's where God shows up for me. And then Paul concludes this section in, in Corinthians, and he says, he says something that I wish all of us could say when we're going through it. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. I'll boast about it. But Paul, you've had so many victories. Yes, but I delight in my weakness. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. And isn't that what we want? We want Christ's power resting on each of us. There is a type of power you experience by accepting God's no and going through the difficulties of life. It is the sufficient grace of God and I pray this morning that you will receive Christ's power resting on you in spite of the circumstances of life that you are going through today and then he says in verse 10 that's why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses in insults in hardships in persecutions in difficulties, what? That blows my mind. For when I'm weak, Paul says, then I'm strong. Then I'm strong. This is so counterintuitive. I mean, the, the thing that I have wrestled with so much is this thing that where he says, I delight in insults. You know, being on stage, there's lots of of, uh, ammunition for insults, right? I say stupid things. I do stupid things. And people can insult me for it. And I want to defend myself, you know? I want to defend myself, like the prime minister. I want to defend myself. I want to apologize and get on and be reelected. Right? And Paul says, Boy, I delight in it. You know why? Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You know what this means? I want to give you four things what it means. First of all, It is not lack of faith to ask God to remove your thorns. Just after the service last week, somebody came to me, and they were going through a major challenge in their family. And he said, Pastor, I'm trusting God. I'm asking for healing. I'm asking for vindication. And I will do that until I die. We have permission to ask God to remove our thorns. Hear me, I'm not saying just to accept everything that comes, every difficulty that comes to your life. I'm saying it's not lack of faith to ask God and to keep asking God. But secondly, God has the right to say no. You have to You have the right to ask God, but God has the right to say no. And in that case, will I accept the answer no and give God permission to be God? That's a tough one. And thirdly, God may choose to showcase his power in the stage of your weakness. Friends, things may never change. Some things may never get better. They never work out. You may never be healed. The relationships may never come back together again. It is not a reflection of God's concern or lack of concern for you. It's about God. It's about him. And fourth, and this is important, fourth, you cannot experience God's sustaining grace while resisting his will. You cannot experience God's sustaining grace if in your heart you're resisting his answer. Now, there's a word in Christian circles called striving. You've heard that one, Striving. Striving with God is being so frustrated with God because he won't answer your prayer. And so you strive. It, it reminds me of the two-year-old, and, you, and he's, you say to him, you can't have candy, and he throws himself on the floor, and he's flailing and screaming, I want my candy. Some of us strive with God. And we're not on the floor, but we're on our knees and we're ready to duke it out with God. We're not willing to accept his statement of no. And then we say, I'm not going back to that stupid church and I'm not going to sing those stupid worship songs because they're a bunch of lies. And I'm not going to read my Bible and I'm shutting you out, God. I'm turning my back on you. And when you turn your back on God, he's in your face. You can strive all you want. You can throw a temper tantrum. You can say, I'm done with God and church and everything. God is always in your face with his arms open wide saying, I'm ready to give you grace. I'm willing for you to experience my power in your weakness. Would you open your spirit? And would you receive it? Sustaining grace begins with saying, not my will, but your will be done. Paul learned this from Jesus. Jesus was in the garden, you recall, and praying, oh, God, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Jelaine is coming to sing, even when it hurts, even when it hurts, I will praise you. And as she sings, would you open your spirit, To the possibility of Jesus Christ giving you sustaining grace. Would you surrender your weakness? And your inability? And would you surrender that thing which is a thorn in your flesh? And would you say to God? "Thy will be done.